I remember the first time I ever heard that song a long, 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 long time ago. It seems like now, 1971. And that song, I used to hum it over and over and over again in my mind. It may not seem so to you today, but I used to be very much a loner. I didn't have many friends. I didn't have any friends, actually. To think about the words of that song, how neat it would be to have a friend. That no matter what happened, that no matter what things were going on in my life, that I could call them any time, day or night, and they'd be there. In a recent survey taken among college students all across the United States, it was revealed that the number one problem facing college students today is loneliness. While other surveys taken nationally reveal that the same problem confronts couples, the working single, as well as the college student. Our society today is filled with lonely people. Everywhere you look. That empty feeling inside, that feeling that I'm all alone, I'm isolated, there's really no one in my life that I could say I really count on. And I'd like to cover with you this morning some of the contributing factors to loneliness, how you can overcome loneliness, and how you can insulate yourself in the future from ever being lonely again. The first factor that I want to cover with you this morning that I believe has contributed to the rise of loneliness, especially in the last 30 years, is divorce. Many of the people that you know, many people I meet almost every day, have either been involved in a divorce with their spouse, or they come from a broken family. And you might ask, well, how does that contribute to loneliness? The reason it contributes to loneliness is because in order to insulate themselves from future hurts, this person isolates themselves from commitment. Commitment is scary. Commitment is a fearful thing. You'd be surprised at the number of young people I talk to today, couples, middle-aged people who are afraid of the commitment of relationship because they've been hurt. And they've concluded that the only person I can really rely on and trust in is myself. And so they spend their life, oftentimes isolated to themselves, all alone. Or maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you've not come from a broken home, but you've been involved in a relationship with a guy or a girl. And you suffered rejection. And all of a sudden, we begin to pull back in a self-protectionist measure to guard ourselves against those hurts again. Second contributing factor that I think makes loneliness prevalent in our society is mistrust. The, our news service is so faithful to make us aware of all the garbage that happens in our neighborhoods, isn't it? So that, do you know that just this last week there was a young woman in West Bloomington in her driveway stabbed to death in broad daylight. And now everyone goes to bed paranoid. Every, you wonder if your neighbor's a weirdo. You wonder if the person you work with is a rapist. And we've become very much concerned about people's motives and about what's behind that face. And so it's very difficult for us to trust people. A third contributing factor is one I call work, pleasure, and the dog. Work, pleasure, and the dog. For some reason, 
in the 1980s, modern man has become convinced that a career, an exciting career, exciting hobbies and leisure time, entertainment centers galore, and a wonderful relationship with animals will somehow take the place of human companionship. And you'd be amazed at how well we relate to our bikes, how well we relate to our cars, how well we relate to our computers, how well we relate to the dog. All you have to do is feed the dog and the dog will like you. But this person has their career going and they have their hobbies going and they have everything that life has to offer, it seems, except inside, they know each night they're alone. They're alone. There's no one there to share the joys of life, nor is there someone there to share the sorrows of life. I talk to many couples who have been through divorce feeling extremely lonely and they would go back to the pain they had just to have company. Now they're alone. The fourth reason, and maybe one of the biggest of all, but the others have contributed to it, is today, people's inability to develop meaningful, lasting friendships. We have not been given the tools today, often by our family or by society in general, to develop meaningful relationships. I confront this all the time in counseling. Roommate situations, job situations, and marriages. We just don't, we just don't have the tools. The self-sacrifice, the qualities of loyalty, kindness, cheerfulness, a good listening ear. We don't know how to listen. Only thing we can do is listen to the television, but we have a very difficult time listening to the heart throb and the desires and the emotions and the fears of another human being. Those four things have created, among others, a very lonely, lonely society. You will never be able to overcome loneliness without meaningful friendships. The only way to overcome loneliness is through friendships. Some of you wonder, Mark, is that really true? I mean, I thought God was the answer to loneliness. You're going to be surprised at some of the things I share with you today. Did you know that the book of Genesis tells us that the primary reason God made men and women was not so we could reproduce. It was not so we could have babies. The primary reason is because it is bad to be alone. It was not a good thing to be alone. You see, God's no dummy. God made the earth and God made the sky and God made the stars and then God made all the animals and you know what? He made them male and female. Why? Because He knows how you have babies. He's the one who came up with it. But then He made man all by Himself and He did it on purpose. He didn't make an eternal point. He made man and He made all the animals and God walked with man and God talked with man. But He said, it's not good that man is alone. And so God made woman. The reason God didn't make another man is because God also had a twofold purpose, and that was to reproduce. But have you ever noticed the unique abilities, characteristics of women? Women have some very unique characteristics. One of them I've noticed this being married 10 years, a unique ability to show tenderness and compassion and sensitivity in the way they listen. I've learned a lot from my wife. Women usually are very, very good listeners. They have a much greater knack and skill at that usually than men. So God made us both for companionship. He didn't make us to be alone. Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one. 
The reason why is that if one falls under the burden and the weights of life and the sorrows and the difficulties, they have someone else who can come along, pick them up, encourage them, uplift them, and get them moving on their way. But it says what a tragedy it is for the person who falls by themselves and there's no one there to pick them up or to help them. That's a tragic thing. The only way that you're going to overcome loneliness is to involve yourself in positive, meaningful relationships. One of the greatest benefits that Evergreen Community Church offers to you, if you ever wonder, what could this church do for me? I want to tell you this morning, one of the major things this church uniquely can do for you, it can offer you a place to find meaningful, lasting friendships without worrying what you look like, how much money you make, do you wear the right clothes? Do you have the right job? Is your past good enough? And are people going to talk about me behind my back? You don't want to know why? Because that doesn't matter to us here at Evergreen Community Church. In fact, we, we actively teach against gossip. It would be pretty hard to talk about one another behind your back with us around because we don't believe in it. And you have a unique opportunity to choose friends from this group of people that will become lifelong, meaningful friends. If you're going to maintain good spiritual health, you see, in your life personally, it is essential, it is absolutely essential that you have good, positive friendships and fellowship with good people. With good people. I want to give you four steps this morning for overcoming loneliness. Alright? Four steps that will help you overcome loneliness. The first one is realize you cannot make it alone. You need other people. You were created for friendship. You must realize that loners don't make it in this society. See, we promote that. We promote that. Remember the song, look at all the lonely people? Thinking that love has passed them by? Our society is filled with lonely people. But at the same time, we kind of emulize that kind of a thing. We kind of hold that as something that we ought to be. We ought to be able to be self-sufficient. We ought to be able to make it on our own. We ought to be able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's a lie. No one will be a success in life without the help and the intimacy of relationships. The second thing, practical step that you need to do is reprioritize your life. You need to take a close look at your life. Make time for developing friendships. Take steps to become a good friend. That involves two things. You need to sit down and you need to think. Well, if you think good on paper, then put it on paper. If you think good in your mind, then think in your mind. But you need to pause and you need to ask yourself, how much time do I, am I really involved with people? I don't mean just at work, but I mean outside of work. I mean with your family, dads and moms. What kind of relationship do you have with your kids? Do you have time with your kids? Do you have time to go out and throw the ball and catch the ball and chase the ball? Do you have time to throw the frisbee? Do you have time to take your daughter out to eat? Do you have time to do that with your wife? If not, you need to reprioritize your life. Because I promise you, you're a lonely person. The second thing you need to commit yourself to is develop the qualities in your life that will make you a good friend. That will make you the kind of person that people will want to know. Because we tend to be so deficient in those areas today, we need to give them careful attention and excel in those things. The third thing is surround yourself 
with God-loving, positive people who will have a good influence on your spiritual life. I can't overemphasize this enough. There are right friends and wrong friends. I don't know if you knew that. The Bible says in Proverbs that a wise man is cautious in friendship. He's cautious. That doesn't mean he's mistrusting. It means a wise person is cautious who they commit themselves to. What kind of friends? If you have the wrong kind of friends, they're going to sap your strength. They're going to sap your energy. You know, it's never ceased to amaze me. I've been counseling with an individual. And I'll be talking to them. And they were raised in an alcoholic home with an alcoholic parent. And you know what they end up doing? They, they, they hate the alcoholism. They hate what happens. They go and marry an alcoholic. And I think one of the reasons is because of the misconception that this person will understand what I've been through. Wrong. We need to have discernment. This is not the only reason. This is just one. We need to have the discernment that there are certain people that aren't worth your time. That's very dangerous to befriend them. Proverbs talks about him, calls him a fool. Proverbs says, do not be the friend of a fool. Do not be the friend of a scoffer. Because they'll rub off on you. Corinthians tells us bad company corrupts good morals, but he who walks with wise men will be wise. So surround yourself with positive people, God-loving people, God-honoring people. And the fourth thing is very practical. Get involved in an evergreen care group. Care groups are the bottom line to this church. Care groups are a place that you can find people who care about one another, who will accept you, and who will lift up your spirits. Our care groups were designed for a reason. We hope in the future, I've had people come and they said, Mark, I just like it here so much. Yeah, you, I'm really glad. And you know one of the things I like is it's, it's, it's homey, it's small. I don't feel like a number. And I've kind of cringed when I've heard them say that. The reason why is because one day you will be a number. One day, I'm in my hopes, there'll be thousands, tens of thousands of people at an average Sunday service. But you'll never be a number to me, you see. And care groups will keep you from ever being just a number. You see, we want to have the benefits of both worlds. We want to get very, very large, but we want to keep very, very small. And care groups are the way we do that. Care groups, we have three types. We have those for career singles that we're starting. We have those for college students. And we have them for couples. Couples with no children, couples with small children, and couples with older children. There's usually no more than 10 to 12 adults involved and we meet about once a week on a Sunday evening. We have a meal together. And I'll tell you, it's one of my favorite times of the week. I, I have a blast at care group. Last time, boy, we got into a wonderful heated debate on finances. What do you do when she thinks the money ought to be spent on this and he thinks the money ought to be spent on that? And we had a very, very exciting time. <laughs> next time, if anyone wants to come, we're going to talk about sex at ours next time. So we, talk, we just cover the gamut. We talk about everything. And how the Bible relates to those things in your life. And we've grown close to one another. And we care about one another. That's where my intimate friendships are being developed, is in a care group. I know that I've had people tell me, in my care group and in others, that this care group has literally saved my marriage. It has shown me. You see out there, all my friends tell me the, the answer is to get divorced. The answer out there, when I have trouble with my mate, is, is end it. You don't have to put up with that. But care group gave me a place of stability. It gave me a place where I knew I was accepted just like I am. With all my problems and with all my difficulties, and I can put them on the table. That's what care group is about. It's your opportunity to be cared about. And I want to encourage you. 
to, if you're not involved with one, you've got a panel in your hand because I know that usually, on the average, most people don't hand the panel in. So you have a bulletin that looks like um, mine's gone. You have one. If you look on the panel, you'll find care group. I would like to ask you to do something. Well, I finished this morning. I'd like you to mark the box care group. And I'd like you to put your name, your phone number, your address, and your proximate age, whether you're married or single. And we will have a care group leader call you and inform you of some of the care groups in your area. Because we try to meet all around the city. But you'll never know until you try. And I, I was thinking, and I just didn't have time to bring up person after person today to talk about care group. It will be, it will be your answer to loneliness. You'd be amazed at how many couples I meet today that are lonely. They feel isolated. They feel by themselves. How many singles I meet today I mean, that's why, understand how loneliness is such a problem. That's why they can get away with these crazy, wacko commercials. Talk to me. Talk to me. Dial 1976-LOVE. Join the party and get 25 people on the phone and let's all be crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? That's why those things sell. People are so lonely. They sit in their home all by themselves in their four walls and their television and they stare at it and they're empty inside. Get involved in Partners for Life. Get involved in New Life. You will meet people. I'm convinced we have some of the most awesome people on the planet Earth right here in this church. I believe that. Some of the most caring, dear, accepting people that you'll ever find in your life. I have that comment regularly. This is the most friendly church I've ever been to. Well, our friendliness goes much deeper than what you see on the surface. So give Care Group a try. In closing, I would like to end this morning with seven ingredients that are necessary for you to build deep friendships and that I guarantee you will insulate you from loneliness in the future. Okay? They will insulate you from loneliness and they will give you an ability to develop deep, lasting friendships with your children, with your wife, and with your friends. The first one is seek the good of others. Self-centeredness will ruin every relationship you have. I can't overemphasize this enough, this point. The Bible tells us, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor to build him up. You want to revolutionize your marriage. Go home today and seek the good of your mate. Decide what would build them up. You want to change your finances? Take your finances, husbands, and decide, what does my wife think is an important expenditure? And spend it. What do my children think are important? And get involved. You singles, what does my friend at work consider important? As long as you're waiting for other people to come along and lift you up, you will never have any friends. I can promise you that. Seek the good of others. And you'll be a joyful person. And you'll be a well-liked person. And you'll have friends. The second thing is found in Proverbs 17, 17. It says, A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. I write by that, in big words, acceptance. Acceptance. Allow people to be human. They ought to be able to make mistakes in your presence without the fear of rejection or that, the, or that your respect or opinion of them will change. Overlook insults and hurts. Be forgiving. Without question, my wife is my best friend. Probably the strength to my marriage is that my wife is my best friend. And this probably is the biggest reason why. 
I have a dark side. Just like you have a dark side. And my wife has seen my dark side. And my wife has accepted the dark side. My wife has accepted me the way I am. Time and time again, she's been with me through thick and thin. Mostly thin. And mostly the difficulties of life. And we've been through them together. And it's been her unconditional acceptance of me that has instilled confidence in me that has made her the very best friend that I have ever, ever had. Because she's been through it. And I've not been rejected. I've not been put down. And she hasn't left me. A lesser person would have. With some of the things we've been through, a lesser person would have left. It's so important that your friends know that they can be themselves. I like to read you a little story here I found. It's just a brief paragraph. It involves John F. Kennedy and a very good friend of his, or friend of his when he was alive. It says, Although the burdens of the presidency dramatically changed Kennedy's life, his enjoyment of companionship was as strong as ever. It was just a natural part of his personal life, said Eunice Shriver. He had a great capacity for this friendship. Well, it's hard to describe it just as a friendship. It was a complete liberation of the spirit. I think that's why Lem, that's what Lem did for President Kennedy. President Kennedy was completely a liberated man when he was with Lem. I want to tell you something. That's how I am when I'm with my wife. I'm liberated. I don't have to be a fake. I don't have to be Joe Perfect. I don't have to say and do everything just right. If I get impatient, it's overlooked. And I feel such a liberation in my family life. It's such a freedom to just be myself, to say the things that are on my mind. And oftentimes she puts me right back on track. But I need that. And I thank God for that. The third point is being honest and open. So often we are afraid to share our true selves, our failures, our fears, and our emotions with others. Intimacy breeds intimacy. Avoid superficiality like the plague. Nothing stinks more than superficial friends. Nothing hurts more than shallow friendship. But if you want to cultivate deep friendships, then you be honest and open about you. You share the gut things that are going on with you and, and the struggles that you're having and the failures that you're having. I think that's one of the things that God has helped me cultivate and see the value of and how important it is in my friendships is to be honest and be open. You know, people have all these preconceived notions about a pastor. And I hope I've shattered every one of them. I'm a human being. And living with a pastor is not living like living with God. You know, you can talk to my wife about that. I'm just trying just like everyone else. And I'm just striving just like everyone else. And I fail just like everyone else. And I just appreciate so much the relationship I have with not only my wife, but with Brent. This is something I've seen in our relationship as we've developed it over the last two and a half years and it continues to develop. A greater and greater ability to be ourselves. To share the struggles we're having. The struggles of ministry. The difficulties, the stresses that come in, pray about them together. It's very important if you want to develop strong, lasting friendships. The fourth thing is availability. Be available. Friendship takes time. Give of yourself. Take time to listen. A good listener has deep friendships. There's really been two people that have had a major impact on my life. 
One of them is my wife, and the other one is a friend that has since... Our friendship is from a distance. His name is Tim Kaufman. As I was sharing with you earlier, I haven't always been the way I am now. And hopefully in ten years I won't be the way I am now either. But in high school, I didn't have any friends. What happened was, I got involved in drama. I was very kind of a shy guy, especially with girls. And there was this one particular girl in the drama that I was in that I thought was the most beautiful thing on the planet, you know. And one day she started to notice me. I thought, this is really neat. And so I got the courage to ask her out, you know, because her girlfriend told me she'd go out if I asked her. That's the only way I'd do it, you know, if I had my bets covered. So I did, and our relationship developed, and you know how you are at 16 years old, 7, I fell madly in love. And you know how it goes at 17 and a half. Someone falls out of love, and it wasn't me. And uh, she decided she had enough of me, and I don't really blame her as I look back. But at the time, I wasn't rational, and it really hurt. So my whole senior year, I skipped most of my senior year. I didn't show up for class. That's when I started writing songs. And they were all very depressing. And they were all very... You know, I thought, you know, that's what Simon and Garfunkel writes, you know, mostly these depressing, lonely songs. And, and it, you listen to uh, Phoebe Snow or you listen to Janice Ian. Most of it's the, the bare, you know, struggles of life. And so I began... I just pulled back out of every relationship that I had. Every single one. And I would just basically at night, I would go see all the movies. You know, I was a real movie goer because I, I was really into social justice. So I really was into the Billy Jack movies and the Charles Bronson movies, you know. <laughs> Mr. Majestic and Death Wish. And, and I was into the Mountain Men. So I, General Maya Johnson I saw six or seven times. And I would just sit through the first showing. Then I'd sit through the second showing. And then all by myself, I'd just walk the streets till two or three in the morning. All by myself. Just, just... Wishing I had a really good friend and wishing my life could be different. But it wasn't. And I remember I got to be about 19 and a half and some major things started happening in my life. My life just seemed to be begin to fall apart. And I didn't have anybody to go to. And one day, I was in a restaurant and there was a guy in town, I knew a little bit about him, his name was Tim and he was the local Jesus freak. You know, But Tim was cool. You know, He wasn't like all the Christians I knew with his white collar and his real short hair, had long hair and a leather coat, and he rode a motorcycle. And, and I, you know, I could live with that, even though he was a Christian. And so one day, I was in this restaurant having a pizza, and he came in. And he was very friendly, he was very sincere, most sincere guy I'd ever met. And he came up to me and he said, he said, Mark, uh, how you doing? I said, well, Tim, I said, I'm not doing very good at all. Um, and for the next three and a half hours, he changed his schedule, he sat down with me, and he listened to me. And little did he know that he just got a parasite. And I was on him like a fly on honey. Man, I was over at his apartment every night. And we'd talk and he'd share the Bible with me and we'd go into the Word and he'd take me with him to places. And he'd do stuff with me. He was about three years older. And, uh, you know, he'd listen to my harebrained ideas and I have a lot of them. <laughs> and, I, and I had a lot of them then. And, and he'd listen. And he'd go out and share with me and he'd go out and be humiliated with me, you know. We were close. And eventually I moved in with him and he got me a job as a machinist. And he taught me how to be a machinist. And he had such an impact on my life because he was always available. He was always there. I could call him any time, day or night, no matter what was happening. 
I think that's where I acquired some of that ability in my own life and seen the essential importance of being available to people. You're not going to have deep friendships with people if you have to schedule them into your life all the time. If they give you a phone call, you say, I'm really sorry, I just don't have time right now. You need to be available. You need to be available. You need to learn to be a good listener. Listening takes time and sometimes it's very difficult. You need to listen not only with your ears, but with your heart. Cultivate your listening skills. The fifth thing is just really a little point. Don't spread yourself too thin. You cannot be intimate friends with everyone. You can be friendly with everyone, but you must take the time to cultivate a few close friendships. If anyone has a struggle with this, it's me. I really have a hard time with this. I love people. And I like to do everything. And I like to start a thousand ministries. I like to be everybody's friend and try and help everyone. And of late, the Lord's just been putting this little bug in my ear that, Mark, listen, you're not God. You're not omnipotent. You're not omnipresent. You're not me, Mark. And if you try to spread yourself too thin, here's what happens. The intimate friendships will crumble because they suffer because they're not getting the time they need. So make sure that you don't spread yourself too thin, that you're always friendly, but you must take the time necessary without feeling guilty to develop a few solid, close relationships with people. It's very important. The sixth thing is loyalty. Don't betray confidences. Stick by that person. Prove that you can be trusted. There's a lot that could be said about loyalty. I believe one of the most exemplary men of our time, no matter what you think about him or not, is Oliver North. I have tremendous admiration for Ollie North's loyalty. Whether you think it's right or wrong, the point is I respect the loyalty. Proverbs, or Corinthians tells us that if you love someone, you will stand by them no matter what. You will defend them. You will always believe the best of them and always hope in them. That's love. That's the way God is. And we need to be that way with people. We need to be able to convey to a person that when you share your deepest secret with me, it's safe here. It's safe. I want to read you another little paragraph. Oftentimes, when Kennedy wanted to relax, Eunice Shriver recalled, he would call Lem on the phone or they would go out to the country, just the three of them, Jack, Jackie, and Lem. On Saturday morning, Lem would accompany the president by helicopter from the White House to Glenora, arriving in time for lunch. And after the meal, Jacqueline, an avid equestrian, would go riding, leaving Jack and Lem to stroll the grounds. He could talk about everything, Shriver said. Jack trusted Lem completely. Lem never used Jack for anything. His loyalty to Jack was always absolute. He never wrote about him. He was never disloyal because he didn't want to use what President Kennedy had said to him for an ego building for himself. I admire that. That is a tremendous quality. We're so used in our society today to using people, to getting close to people for what we can gain. Be loyal. Be loyal. Keep secrets. Prove to people that you can be trusted. You'll have an intimate marriage and you'll have intimate friendships. And the last thing, maybe one of the most important, is be an encourager. You build intimate friendships with encouraging words. No one wants to be torn down, made fun of, or put down. Friendships are built with our words. Make sure yours encourages others rather than discourages them or is simply inactive or neutral. I have tried in my own life, because I have had 
a struggle, you know, learning to say the right things. I grew up the oldest of six, and we could literally flail one another alive. Our meal times were spent practicing the culinary art of the sharp cutting tongue. That's the way my life was spent. So when I became a Christian, I didn't bring this glowing mouth, you know, into the kingdom. I brought a gutter into the kingdom. And, and I brought a, a sarcastic mentality into the kingdom. And God has had to refine that and hone that. And I've really worked to develop my ability to encourage and give others hope and give others comfort by what I say with my mouth. And you know what's interesting? It's not necessarily that oftentimes our mouths are so negative, but you know what I've noticed? It is possible to have a neutral, inactive mouth. You've got a friend. They just had a major accomplishment in their life, or a small one. And you go, that's neat. No compliment, no praise. You don't make a big deal out of it. That's what I mean, inactive. Jump on those opportunities. Jump on those opportunities to make people feel important over what they accomplished or what they went through. Let them know, hey, listen, they may be against you, but I'm on your side. I just want you to know, I know you're going through some rough stuff, but I'm with you through thick and thin. That goes a long, long ways to developing intimate friendships. And if you don't acquire that ability, that alone will keep you from really being able to have the kind of friendships that will be deep and that will be lasting. Probably the, the thing that's most destructive I see in marriage today is this little thing right here. The tongue. The mouth. I watch it destroy people. The little side comments. The little jabs. The little hits. The right crosses to the belly. You know? The left hooks to the mouth. And your family's just decimated. I want to read you a little advertisement I found on the back of this magazine. Words hit as hard as fists. You're pathetic. You can't do anything right. You disgust me. Just shut up. Hey, stupid, don't you know how to listen? Get out of here. I'm sick of looking at your face. You're more trouble than you're worth. Why don't you go and find some other place to live? I wish you were never born. Children believe what their parents tell them. Next time, stop and listen to what you're saying. You might not believe your ears. Take time out. Don't take it out on your kids. I find this happen not only with kids. I find it happen with those we say we love. And out of our mouth comes the most atrocious things. And it cuts people and it leaves them bleeding. And then we wonder why they don't want to be around us. Why don't people want to be around me? Why do people find me repulsive? Why am I so lonely? Maybe it's simply the way you use your mouth. So take the time this week to evaluate these things. And don't lose heart. You can insulate yourself from loneliness. You can overcome your loneliness if you'll get serious about the things I've shared with you today. Next week, I want to invite you back. We're going to discuss how to make it through tough times.